Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widows and the fatherless. By the way of the wicked, he brings ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all the generations. Praise the Lord. Well, amen. Well, as Matt said, we're going to bring our study of the book of Psalms uh, this morning to a close by looking together at Psalm 146, which, if you don't know this, is actually the first of five praise psalms that actually end the book of Psalms. And so, in other words, you get all the way to the end of the book of Psalms, and what you find is praise upon praise upon praise upon praise upon praise. So, guess what we're going to talk about this morning? We're going to talk about praise. And of all the things that there are to say about praise, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that praise is not just something that we as followers of Jesus do when we come in here, but it's something that we do when we leave here and we go out there. And the only question really is how? Because in here it's kind of easy, isn't it? I mean, in here you pull up, you get your parking space, you come in, you get your seat, you sit down, you get a worship journal on your way in the door, and we lead you very carefully, whether you realize it or not, through really a recapitulation of the gospel. We're leading you through all the motions and gestures of the gospel, and here's the reason. We want you to experience the gospel while you're here. We want it to shape you. We want it to form you. So in here, it's easy. It's when we walk out there that we leave going, and now what am I supposed to do? And the answer to that question conceptually is actually very easy. It's you're supposed to live out the gospel that hopefully you've experienced and been shaped and formed by in here. But the question is, how do I do that? And I want to start by giving you just some general examples, knowing that we're going to get very specific in a few minutes. But generally speaking, our God, for example, is a truthful God. Every time he opens his mouth, he tells us the truth. He tells us the truth about ourselves. He tells us the truth about himself and about who he is and about what he's like and about what he deserves and therefore about what he demands. He tells us why it is that he's made us. And again, why is that? To worship him, to serve him, to give our lives to the greatest cause that there is in the entirety of the universe, which is God himself, and to do it perfectly. Why? Because that's what he deserves. And therefore, that alone is right and good. Every time God opens his mouth, he tells us the truth. So we praise him for that in here and out there by being what? Radically truthful people. Our God is a humble God. He didn't forsake us to our imperfections. He didn't leave us when we left him. But instead, think about this. The creator of the whole of the universe, in some sense, became one of his own creatures. He took upon himself. Our humanity entered into this world to do what we have not done, which is live the life of perfect worship and service. And then he gave his life willingly to purchase us out of our sin, to pay the debt that we owed to him for the way that we've lived Our God is a humble God. So how do we praise Him for that in here and out there? 
by being humble people. Our God is a loving God. Our God is a generous God. Our God is a selfless God. We praise Him by being loving and by being generous and by being selfless. Get the idea? And as we look at the gospel and today in particular as we look at Psalm 146, what we discover is that our God is a merciful and a just God. And here's how we praise Him for that in here, but most especially out there. By becoming merciful and just people. That's what we're going to talk about. Psalm 146 begins like this. The psalmist says, praise the Lord. And then again, he says, praise the Lord. And now notice who he's talking to. It's fascinating. He says, oh, my soul. He's talking to himself. It's interesting, isn't it? And what is he doing in this self-conversation that he's having? He's commanding himself to praise God. Why is he commanding himself to praise God? Because just like all the rest of us, he doesn't always feel like it. It doesn't always come naturally. It isn't always an easy thing to do. You know, the Bible talks about a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice is something that's actually costly, and at times it feels and is costly to praise the Lord. And so the psalmist says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. He again commands himself, oh my soul. He's commanding himself to do what he knows he ought to do with the knowledge that the feelings will eventually at least follow. And then he says, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And then he compares God with man, and he's very honest in his comparison. He says, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man. So there it is, in whom there is no salvation. Why? Because we, the whole of us, are so massively limited. We are limited in our intellect. We are limited in our creative abilities. We are limited in our resources. We are limited in our ingenuity. We are limited in our ability to be unselfish. Like we are willing to help, all of us, and then we have that point where we're going, yeah, and I think that's a little too much. Isn't that true? And the most limiting factor about us is our life and the reality that unlike God, it ends. So he says, put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. He says, let me tell you about him. He, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, everything in his calendar is meaningless. All of his ambitions are gone. Everything he's planned to do ceases. On that very day, his plans perish, including the plans that he's made to help you. That's the point. But instead, blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and who therefore transcends absolutely everything and absolutely everyone in this world, including death itself. And who, unlike all of us, has no threshold that he's unwilling to go past to help us. He's given the life of his own son for us. So now what, Paul says, will he then withhold from us? He is faithful. He keeps faith with his people for forever, for he never dies. And who executes what? Because it's one of our two key ideas for today. Who executes justice for the oppressed. And now listen for mercy and justice, because it just goes back and forth. He executes justice for the oppressed and who gives food to the hungry. That's mercy. The Lord sets the prisoners free, meaning those unjustly in prison. That's justice. And the Lord also opens the eyes of the blind. That's mercy. 
The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, the idea of being under some form of oppression. That's justice. And the Lord loves the righteous. That's mercy. Why is that? Because we're declared righteous at the expense of the life of His Son. Natively, that's not who we are. It's by His mercy that we're made righteous. But the Lord also watches over the sojourners, meaning foreigners, in someone else's land. And throughout history, those people have been treated differently from the native inhabitants. Different legal protections. God's going, hey, you know what? That's unjust. I watch over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. How? By supporting them materially. So that the fact that they're widows or the fact that they're fatherless doesn't become the thing that becomes their ruin, but the way of the wicked, he continues, he brings to ruin which is justice. Indeed, the psalmist says, the Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. And so then for all of this, and so very much more, the psalmist concludes by saying, praise the Lord. The idea being, not just in here, but then also out there. Because, I mean, if you think about it, practically speaking, how does God do all of these things that we just read about in this psalm? How does He do them? He does them by His Spirit, okay, through me and you. Through His church. Through His people. So let me give you some specific examples. One of the many blessings of Church United, and if you're not familiar with Church United, it is a movement of churches of all different denominations all over the city, all over Broward County. It's really amazing. We've agreed on mission. And we've agreed that we are stronger together in mission to the city and to the county. So anyway, Church United has been a real blessing, not just to our church, but it's been a real blessing to me personally in that it's brought me into relationship with all these different pastors, you know, from all these different denominations and all these different places in our city that I would never otherwise have probably gotten to know very well, including in the inner city, in the Sistrunk area over there, where I've gotten to know probably two pastors in that area really, really well. And I was having lunch with one of them a couple of months ago, and we were just talking about our churches and about what we're passionate about. And I was talking about the orphan and four kids. I think that's a peculiar passion of this church. We have a lot of foster families in this church. And as an aside, we, we need more foster families in this church. But one of the things that has always drawn me to that particular issue is that it's a definable issue. And that for me is kind of exciting. In other words, year upon year, we can pretty well estimate exactly almost how many kids are going to be coming into the foster care system year after year after year after year. And we know how many churches there are in Broward County. And we know that if the church just cared a little more about this issue, we would have enough foster families to take in every single orphan that comes into foster care in Broward County. I want you to think about the impact of that. Think about the ministry of that to those kids, to the families of those kids, to the county itself. Like the whole county would have to go, you know, these Christians take care of all of our orphans. So I'm sharing this passion with this guy, and he says, you know what, you are right about all of those things. I affirm it, I affirm it, I affirm it. That's mercy. He says, but Tom, 70% of those orphans come out of one zip code. It's the zip code where my church is located in. So what do we do with the families in my zip code because that's justice. Fair point. And I don't have the answer for that. But I suspect he knows more about the answer than I do. And I think what I need to do is find out from him what we can do together. But you get the idea? I think Hope South Florida gives us a great example of that. Hope South Florida is a ministry to homeless families here in Broward County. 
uh, that together with seven or eight other churches that was kind of a precursor to Church United. And we were able to just help launch. You know, we all launched it together on a particular Sunday in August many, many years ago now. And it's amazing, and it is mercy, and it is justice. So it's Faith in Action program, which takes people who were sleeping on the street yesterday and puts them in a hotel or puts them in a church on a cot somewhere for a night or two nights or five nights or a week. Short-term housing, that's mercy, but it's restorative housing program. That's justice. Why? Because they get them longer-term housing. They come alongside with them with all kinds of programs. They help them with debt and credit and resumes and finding a job and parenting and all of these different things. That's justice, and we have the privilege of participating in both aspects of that as a church regularly. It's not unusual for those guys to call and go, hey, we've got a family. Could you put them up for a night in a hotel? Yeah. And through the Rio house, which is six blocks south of here, we have a fourplex, just four. Don't imagine an apartment complex or anything, but, but it's four units that we've renovated and, and dedicated in partnership with Hope South Florida to helping homeless single moms move from homelessness to sustainability to flourishing. That's justice in the city, the Harvest Drive, that you guys did such a great job participating in, which goes into the public school system and finds the homeless families in the public school system and then provides them not just a Thanksgiving meal, but like food for probably a couple of weeks, as it turns out. That is mercy. Firewall centers, however, which we talked about last week which goes into those same public schools and provides tutoring and, and after-school leadership training that is designed specifically to break the cycle of poverty. That's justice. Santa's wish list. The brilliant invention of one of the lay ministers here in this church, Eric Spikeen, and his wife, Tracy, who go into the public schools and figure out which kids are not going to get a Christmas present this year and then figure out exactly what each kid actually wants, which is the brilliant part, I think and then throws a party out at his house. <laughs> they raise the money, and then they have another party where they all go to Toys R Us and stores all over, and they buy everything specifically for each individual kid. And then they have a party the next night where they wrap it, and they go deliver them all to these kids with a little card that says, this is what Christmas is all about, and this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And incidentally, God knows exactly who you are. He bought you the present you wanted. It's mercy. It's brilliant. But the Guardian Ad Litem program that Sandy Zinzer, another one of our lay ministers, has started here where she's trying to recruit people to become Guardian Ad Litems, which is what she is, incidentally. Advocates in the legal system for orphans and abandoned children. They play a key role in helping judges make just judgments in behalf of these kids. That's justice. Love bags, which many of you participate in, which provides a meal to the homeless. Holiday Park up the street every Tuesday night. Okay, every Tuesday night, the homeless get fed. That's mercy. And one of our lay ministers, Anna Paulino, leads a group of people here and provides the fourth meal for the fourth Tuesday of every month, which incidentally is two days from today, if you want to get involved in that. That's mercy. But trees of hope which was founded by another lay minister of ours, Dee Prieto. Trees of Hope is born out of Dee's own experience of sexual abuse and of healing. And it goes into businesses, and it goes into schools, it goes into all kinds of organizations, anybody who will have them, really. 
and it teaches sexual abuse prevention, how to stop this from happening to kids. That's justice, and it also has recovery groups. That's mercy. Okay, last two examples, Hope Women's Centers, which helps people make informed decisions about unplanned pregnancies, is a literally life-saving mercy ministry. But the legislation that Liza Smoker, who is an attorney here in this church, another one of our lay ministers, is introducing and spearheading into the Florida legislature. She's working on it right now in which she's seeking to get the state of Florida to declare officially pornography to be a public health hazard is justice. And it's awesome. That's amazing. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, good grief, that's like a dump truck full of mercy justice opportunities. You know, how do I get information on all of those things? Go to our website. It's all there. Ministries, renewal, city renewal. Find out how to be involved. But mercy deals with the effects of injustice in this world. What justice deals with is the problem itself. And what the gospel is calling us to deal with is both. And it doesn't come to us and say, hey, you know, if if you've really experienced the gospel, if Christ has really taken hold of your heart, if you're really being shaped and formed by the gospel, by Jesus, by his word, by what he's done for you, then, you know, I mean, at least occasionally you might want to think, no, no. It comes to you and says, no, 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 here's the deal. If the gospel has authentically taken root in your heart, then it's going to bear fruit. And it's not going to be a fruit that you're going to have to kind of gut it out to make happen. Oh, I feel obligated and therefore I'm going to do this. Or I feel guilty if I don't do this. Or this is what good Christians do, therefore I will go. What you'll discover, much to your own surprise at times, is that you want to do this is that as you walk with Jesus, as you do personal worship week by week, as you come in and worship together and and sing and pray and experience the gospel in here, you'll see that the gospel starts showing up in your life organically out there and not as an obligation, but as a joy, as a privilege. And the Bible comes in in a variety of ways, says, listen, if it's not showing up out there, then it's not happening in here or in here. And the move then is to come with your heart and to say, Lord, change my heart. There's a really famous passage of Scripture in Micah chapter 6 in which God, through His prophet, charges His people with being unfaithful. And His people are actually kind of offended by that. Like They're like, what are you talking about? I mean, yes, we've been unfaithful in the past. That's recorded history. We got that, but we, we made good on that. I mean, right now, we're getting it done. Like, we're coming to church, and we're bringing our sacrifices. I mean, we're getting it done in here. So, what else does the Lord require of us? Listen to what they say in verse 6. They say to the prophet, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Now they give him this list of escalating possibilities that's intentionally uh, then ascends into the ridiculous. They say, shall I come before him with a burnt offering, which unlike most of the offerings that the people back then would bring to the temple, for example, where they got to keep some of the meat, they could feed their family, a burnt offering was offered whole. They kept nothing. It was the most costly of offerings. So shall I come with a burnt offering, with calves a year old as opposed to seven days old, which is when a calf became eligible to be sacrificed. Much cheaper to sacrifice a seven-day-old calf than one you've fed for a year. 
and you've tended for a year, that you've called the veterinarian out to look at to get to a year, will the Lord, he says, be pleased with thousands of rams? Okay, now it's getting crazy. With 10,000s of rivers of oil. Okay, that's really nuts. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul, which is ridiculous and insulting, for it's what the pagan gods required? Does God require that? Listen to what the prophet says. He says, God has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? And to love kindness, which is often translated, by the way, mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Where? In here? Well, yeah, I mean, of course. But not just in here. And that's the whole point out there. They were getting it done in here, but it wasn't happening out there. And so what God was saying is, listen, all you're bringing me are sacrifices. All you're doing is going through the motions. I don't have your heart because if I did, it would show up out there. In other words, your faith bears fruit. It's a fruit-bearing faith. It's like a fruit tree. It just, just does. That's what fruit trees do. James, the brother of Jesus, puts it this way in James 2. He says, what good is it, my brothers? Just follow his logic. If someone says, with what? With his mouth, that's how we speak, that he has faith but does also not have works to give evidence to the reality of that faith. He says, can that kind of faith save him? And now notice the example that he gives because it's one of mercy. He says, for if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you, here it is, says with your mouth to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without also doing something to help them, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? And you know the answer to that, don't you? It'd be better not to have said anything at all. So also, James says, that if you claim with your mouth to have faith, but it's a, a faith that is by itself, if it does not have works to authenticate it, to give evidence to the reality of it, he says it's not a sick faith or a weak faith. He says that it is a dead faith. Martin Luther said it this way. He says a religion or a faith, you ready, that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is ultimately worth nothing. Praise is not just something that we do in here. It's something that we then do out there. And if it isn't happening out there, then it's not really happening in here or in here. In which case, what's our move? It's to bring to God our heart and to ask Him to renew it, to change it, to take it. For to it are connected absolutely everything else in our lives. Everything comes out of the heart. So maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, actually, Tom, I'm the one in need uh, right now in this season of my life. And look, we all find ourselves there at times. That's good to know, but it would be even better if we knew so that we could help. But if that's not where you're at, then for the sake of Jesus and in the name of Jesus, 
The move is to take your heart and with it the whole rest of your life. Your gifts and abilities, your resources and skills, your reputation and connections and all of these things and to lay them before the Lord and to do with them what you do with your business, to do with them what you do with your diet oftentimes, do with them what you do with your health, what you do for your kids, what you do for your retirement. Strategically think through them before the Lord recognizing that they came from Him and belong to Him and say, okay, how can I craft a plan by which as you change this heart of mine, I start living out there in a way that praises you for the very things that I hear about that we am being shaped by in here. God, your humble make me humble. Your selfless make me selfless. Your loving make me loving. You're merciful. Make me merciful. And Lord, you are just. So then how would you use me to bring justice to your glory in my family, in my office, in the city in which I live. That is authentic praise. And that is what the gospel requires of us. So I close with this. Will you do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you both for your justice and for your mercy. But even more so, we thank you for the way that you have taken justice, what we deserved, in mercy, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so then, Lord, I pray that that reality, the reality of Christ and of all that you are and of all that he's accomplished for us in his life and sufferings, in his death and his burial, in his resurrection from the dead on the morning of the third day, Lord, I pray that that takes a deep root in our heart and in such a way as to bear fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would move us to bring you our hearts and let you clean them and let you wash them, let you change them, let you encourage them so that we might go forth from this place and praise you, Lord, in all that we do. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.